end this study from Luke, the 14th chapter. On if a man will humble himself, he shall be exalted. And we found out ultimately the greatest act of humility is to choose what Jesus has done for you unconditionally in redemption. In fact, he says, if any man comes to me and hates not his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his lands and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Then he went on to say, which of you, intending to build a tower, sets not down first and counts the cost? He says, lest happily after he began is not able to finish, and all that behold it begin to mock, saying, this man began to, to build and was not able to finish. Well, what he was saying is the only thing in this life that will guarantee you the building material to finish your tower is an unconditional choosing of Jesus. If any man comes to me and hates not. And again, we know that hate's not a violent kind of I'm going to hell because I hate you kind of hate. It's a violent, vehement, unconditional decision for Jesus over everything else that exists. Only then can he guarantee you the building materials to finish your tower. Now that includes the reconstruction of your family if she has fallen apart. That includes your businesses. That includes your call, your ministries. You're not losing your houses and lands and wife. He's guaranteeing you the building materials to finish your tower. Then he went on into the wisdom of God. He said, or what king with 10,000 going to make war against a king with 20,000 set not down first and consulteth whether he with 10 has enough to go against him with 20,000 lest while the other is a, a great way off. He either else goes and desires conditions of peace or he takes his ten and evaluates the situation. Whether he can whip him with ten or he should send an ambassador. But in either case, a confrontation is coming. He said, while the other is a great way off, this man doesn't have a decision. The king with 20,000 is marching on him. He has to make a decision what to do. And he says, if you do not choose Jesus, when he's teaching on the exaltation that comes from God alone in this chapter 14, if you do not choose Jesus, he is saying you will not have the counsel. You'll have no one to consult with. In the many, many facets of this life that, that demand, demand decisions of this caliber, you will not have the counsel, the consultant, the wisdom to know whether to send an ambassador or to take stock in your stores and know whether you can with 10,000 go make war and whip him with 20,000. So then we went from there into the voice of God and began to study his voice because this wisdom and counsel available to a man who chooses Jesus unconditionally is the kind of wisdom and counsel needed available in this life to put you over. The reason many men and women fall short of fulfilling their ministries, fall short of fulfilling 
businesses. If God has called you to place your business between hell and people trying to get there, the reason they don't have counsel and they don't have wisdom available is because they did not have what it took to unconditionally choose Jesus and they shut the doors to the kind of wisdom that he has available and never learned to differentiate between the operation of the spirit and the soul, the emotional realm. And consequently, they're led off continually by the flesh and fail. But for the man and woman, such as yourself, who unconditionally chooses Jesus, then what we're opening up from you from the Word of God is to show you what's available. See, you're not going to come here and sit every Friday night in prayer every Sunday morning for the Word. You're not going to come Friday night and sit and operate out of your spirit for an hour or two and remain unchanged in the respect to which one you're operating out of, the soulish emotional realm or that rock, iron-clad, steadfast place of the spirit. And the quicker you learn to differentiate between which one you're operating out of, then the quicker you're going to begin to succeed in this life because of God's exaltation and being a thing this side of hell the devil can do about it. <laughs> and I meant geographically, of course. I wasn't cursing geographically this side of hell. <clears throat> <laughs> so let's look at Luke 16 again. Let's look again about the 22nd verse. It says, And it came to pass, Luke 16 and 22, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And notice this, the body of the rich man was buried. But yet his inner man, his spirit man, in hell, in hell, lifted up his eyes. Being in torments and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. Now, the reason most people have trouble differentiating between spirit, soul, and of course we don't have so much trouble differentiating between body, is because we don't understand and we're an eternal creature, whether we like it or not. Every person that was ever born to man and woman is living today. There's nobody has perished. I don't care what generation, what century you live in, you live in. Nobody has perished, no one. And whether they're existing in hell or on the planet heaven, no one has perished. Everyone is alive. But notice, he buried 
the rich man's body, and in hell he lifted up his eyes. And probably if there was any area that was more confusing to me, there was operation of spirit, soul, and body. And the reason I found out it was so confusing because it was confusing to the teachers who were teaching me. It's a difficult thing to differentiate between when am I operating out of the spirit and when am I operating out of the soul. And when God began to open up even the study of the anatomy, the ad anatomy of spirit, soul, and body, it starts setting me free. Notice he said this rich man's hell, his body was in hell. And, and his body was in the ground. I'm going to get this straight. My mind is running 500 miles an hour, but I will get it. I will get it. See, there's something else already in my spirit, and I'm, I'm having to pass in review. And when that happens, revelation knowledge is just flowing, and I have to stop and go over particulars. But this man's body was buried. It was in the ground. Yet his inner man, his spirit man in hell, lifted up his eyes. And notice the emotions was with him in hell, because torment is an emotion. He lifted up his eyes. When I used to question relentlessly preachers about the voice of God, because I'd see them operate in the word of knowledge. You know, they'd go up and tell somebody, well, you've got this in your body, and you've got this wrong. And I, I wanted to know how they did that. I didn't know that it was the call of God on my life to fill a particular kind of ministry. I thought everybody rant and raved and craved to know how that guy knew that there was something wrong in someone's body and defined it. In fact, William Branham had a true gift, a prophet of God. If you didn't get healed in the first five statements, he'd go on and tell you your doctor's name, your case history, right down the line. He had a genuine gift. And of course, there's phonies out in the land, but he had a genuine gift. Any prominent man of God will tell you that today. But for me to sit here and watch somebody move like that, to walk up to somebody and say, you've got a valve in your heart that's going haywire. I couldn't understand how everybody wouldn't want to know the voice of God to that degree. So every preacher that I could catch, you know, I'd say, how did you uh, hear God's voice? How did he tell you that person? How does he talk to you? And I would pester them until they threw me out. And I mean pester him. I followed a guy to the trailer he was staying in. And they'd have to almost, you know, just get rude with me to leave at 2 in the morning. I'd say, how'd you hear his voice? Well, he spoke to my spirit. But, I mean, that really helped me. <laughs> he spoke to my spirit. And I said, thanks a lot for the help. I said, but please identify the approximate region. Well, you know, he spoke way down in my inner man, and they reached down here somewhere right in here in the center of their bosom. He spoke to my inner man. I say, would you please identify the approximate vicinity, the belly button area, a little higher? I wanted to know. <laughs> well, he just spoke to my spirit. I said, where? Way, way down deep in my spirit. And the same man that told me that told me he had a vision of the human spirit. And it looked like kind of a little vial sitting crossways here with two tubes. One fed something in and one take it out. 
and just sitting right there. And I said, that's the human spirit? And he said, yes, it is. <laughs> and isn't it incredible what we get into our minds? But yet it said in hell, this man lifted his eyes up. and He didn't have his body with him. So we know the hidden man of the heart, the inner man. We know that if he has eyes, he has hands. In fact, Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, heaven, he wanted him to dip the tip of his finger in water. So we know that people in heaven at least have the tip of fingers. And regardless, the man in hell wanted that tip of the finger to come with a drop of water for his tongue, for he had an emotional torment in those flames. So we know that the spiritual anatomy of the inner man has hands and eyes and tongue. And if he has hands, eyes, and the tongue, we also know that the inner man has a spiritual brain. And that spiritual brain fits in your physical brain. And when God talks to you, He doesn't communicate with some area around the belly button area. In fact, the baptism of the Holy Spirit actually took place and is resident in the inner workings of your spirit. In fact, the reason it seems like it comes from wait, wait, deep, comes way up, way deep, way dangerous, come up out of my spirit. And the reason that it appears to come from we get that mystic look, you know. God spoke to me. What I could never understand is why God went and told you things about me that he wouldn't tell me first. Unless I was in rebellion, I could never figure that out. Why did he tell her that I'm going to be taking a trip in two days? I mean, it, if he wanted me to go on that trip, I'd, I'd as soon like to prepare for it, you know. <laughs> this is the kind of weird leadership that Paul finally had to write, you know. Despise, not prophecy. And you know why? Because they had the same kind of messes breaking churches up as we have. That's why it's important to study the operation of the Spirit and the inner man. Yes, his voice appears to come from way down. Because in the anatomy of inner man and outer man, you have a spiritual brain that operates through your physical brain. And your physical brain is what empowers your spiritual brain to operate in the natural world such as you and I live in. But yes, his voice appears to come from way down in the center of your bosom because when he speaks, the process of his speaking doesn't take place on the surface level where mental energy generates thought and language. It comes to pass. He speaks in a different realm. 
He speaks to that spiritual mind on the inside of your physical brain. And because it is recessed in your physical brain, the appearance of it seems to come from way down in here, where in reality it comes from way center, collapsed, way down in the very focal point in the center of your being, where the Holy Spirit lives in your consciousness of the spirit man. Hallelujah. But it, it came from Holimer and came right up out of my spirit. Yes. But the Holy Spirit lives in your consciousness, in your spiritual mind. And it operates through your physical mind and makes contact with the physical world. Now this is what's interesting. You have spiritual eyes. They fit in your physical eyes like a glove. I mean, if I was to step out of my body and my inner man was standing here, he'd look just like me, only my defects would be gone. My God, I'd be so handsome. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but if he granted you a miracle to see me without a glorified body, and I held my finger up, says, what's my finger made out of? Well, if it was my physical finger, you would say, well... It's made out of electrons, protons, neutrons, atoms, molecules, basic structure of matter. Yes, that's what my physical... How about my spiritual finger? Well, it's made out of spirit. Well, I thought spirit was some force that just floated around. Spirit is actually building material. It's a substance that God uses to make his eternal creatures out of. I held my spiritual finger up and says, what's it made out of? What's it made out of? You'd look at it, him haw around a while, and you'd finally have to say, well, I guess it's made out of spirit. Yes, it is. The building material of heaven. It's made out of a spiritual substance. And it would undoubtedly break down to molecules. It'd break down to atoms and spiritual electrons, neutrons, and protons would be running around in my spirit body. Why? Because this natural earth is nothing more than a copy of the real. Only it's made out of a different substance. But even that substance is nothing more than an expression of the real. He says, we know that things where they appear were made out of things which do not appear. That this is a birthed child from a spiritual realm. That's why physical law has to bow down to spiritual law because spiritual law fathered physical law and it is subject to it. Glory to God. <laughs> so if I held my spiritual finger up and says, Aha! You'd say it's made out of spirit. So is my spiritual brain. I met Ronald Cohen. He's popped that eye out so many times that his socket's getting big, you know. Ronald Cohen is the plastic eye miracle. He had something happen that put his eye out, and they put a plastic eye at it. He's about nine or ten years old. I know him. I fronted for him in a meeting. Here's the thing he loves to do. I was up and, and watched. He says, now you watch. You watch. You are the witness. And they taped his good eyes so tight. There was no way. Everybody checked it out. You could not see through it. Could not. And he reaches up and he pops this eye out, goes, and there's this plastic eye. And you can't see through it. When you hold it up, it'll let light through. 
But you hold it up and you can't see through it, you know. So here, he holds his eye open like this and you can see the back of his socket. There's nothing in there. So then he flips your license. Yeah, <laughs> You know, somebody give me a license. And he goes, mm, he gives you address and your name and he's reading it. And there's no eyeball in there. And then he takes that and he pops it back in and you and I can't see through it. But he can. So he goes on reading it. And, and the years went by, and I marveled so much over this miracle, you know, that God did. I marveled over it. I started praying. I said, God, it's impossible that he could see. He didn't have an eye. He said, oh, yes, he did. I said, I'm, I looked up in it. There was no eye in there. And the Lord kept insisting when he was teaching me on this that he had an eye. I says, he don't have an eye. But he does have an eye. He don't have an eye, but he does. I says, oh, yeah. And that's when the Lord told me what he did. He said, I granted him a miracle. The discerning of spirits is a supernatural gift. That suddenly you're standing here, you know, minding your own business, and that gift comes on you, and your eyes open. And my God, there's angels over there, and there's angels over there, and then there's demons camped just outside of praise area. You know, they're holding your coat waiting for you to come back out so you can get ugly again, you know. They're in the parking lot waiting by your cars. You know, can I park your car for you? Thank you. So you feel real nice in church and get back out there and turn ugly again, you know. But you can see not only angels, but you can see in the spiritual realm. That's a whole viable world. You look and you see and you go, what happened? Well, God granted you a miracle through the discerning of spirit. He opened your eyes so you could look into the spirit world and see at the same time with the physical world. He told me on Ronald Cohen, I did a miracle in reverse. I opened his spiritual eye to see into a physical world without the aid of an eyeball. I go, oh my God, this guy's walking around looking with his spirit eye. This is incredible. Well, when he's glorified, he'll get the one that was put out and reconstructed back again. I'm thinking, this is a tremendous miracle. There was a woman I know had all her eardrum removed. And she had perfect pitch in that ear. She could hear better than anybody else. Because he opened her spiritual eardrum <laughs> to hear audible sounds on the sound wave we live on. So he opened her ear and she could hear and the doctors are just so baffled about it, you know. And every once in a while, one of these believe it or not institutions that expose frauds will challenge Ronald Cohen. They we're going to challenge this fraud taking people's money. And the challenge is issued. <laughs> and that's the last you hear about it. <laughs> they beg to get out of it. <laughs> now that's a miracle, okay. But you know what I think would be a greater miracle than that? Cut some old boy's legs off and God give him spirit legs, you know. Come walking in the service and you go. <laughs> Don't wear shorts anymore, okay? <laughs> You're messing our people up, you know. Because <laughs> you have an inner man. He has an anatomy. And one day we'll get our glorified body. 
But meanwhile, He gave you the baptism of the Holy Spirit to guide you into all truth, mortify you against the flesh, these kind of things. That God talks to the consciousness of the inner man. And that's that spiritual mind that operates through, see, that physical brain. And it's incredible. The, the three, four ways he communicates with his children, one more time then, as we begin to reopen this and study. The four ways he communicates with his children, because we're going to be making reference time after time to the inner witness, because the inner witness is the absolute foundational operation of the Spirit that he leads all of his children with. I don't care if you're the mighty apostle, the mighty prophet, and all these kind of things. The basic way he will lead you is through the inner witness. Do you know that I operate, God will tell me things, you know? in the Spirit about people, and I can hear His voice, and He activates that gift all the time, even in public, in private situations where I'm ministering to people. He activates it. But I can pray, God, am I supposed to move or not? <laughs> and He just doesn't come up to me and say, yes, you will move, and blah, blah, blah. But He leads me by the inner witness. He just gives me an inner witness, drops it in my lap and says, do what you want with it. But I think, boy, it should be nice if he led me by that other anointing. But he does not. The foundational operation of the Spirit, the basis for your leadership, the foremost primary way that he leads his children is with the inner witness. That's the second way he communicates, once again, is by revelation. He communicates by revelation. That's when he'll capsule up a revelation like a computer chip. And the Holy Spirit will explode that computer chip within your spirit. And when he does, all of a sudden in a half a second, you can receive enough information to run your business for a year. See, he'll capsule a revelation up and send it across to my spirit and explode it. And all of a sudden I understand enough to keep me busy preaching for three months. And he communicated that in half a second. So he communicates by revelation all of a sudden in your meditation or during prayer, something will explode in your spirit and you know how to solve the whole problem because he communicated information. Now this is what makes your class of being different from any other class. God communicates with your spirit because you're a spiritual being. You're created in his class. That's why he prefers to communicate with your spirit. He could communicate with your physical mind, but he would have to slow down real slow to communicate with you. He would prefer to capsule up in one hundredth of a second a revelation, send it across, to explode it, and all of a sudden you go, oh, I understand the whole thing. But if you would use the rate of your communication to communicate it, it would take you a month to say it. And you got it in half a second. But if he communicated with your mind, go would he have to slow down? Hell, low, child. So this, the second way he communicates with these children is through by revelation. <laughs> And the third way he communicates with his children 
is my voice. He will actually speak an audible voice within your spirit. And of course, most people don't operate in that level because they can't differentiate between soul and spirit. So they can't sort out whether it's their thinking process or the Holy Spirit has actually said something within their spirit. And we will spend the most time differentiating on that area because that also has to do with the inner witness. People cannot tell whether it was an emotional response on their part or there was something imparted that actually gave them an inner witness. So they cannot tell. So the third way he communicates is actually in an audible voice. He speaks on the inside of your spirit. The fourth way, the fourth way that he communicates is by vision, which is rather complicated. In my own personal experience, which I now base on the Word of God, is the only time I have found these visions to come into operation in my life is when the anointing is on me and generally pertaining to revelation knowledge from his word or witnessing to somebody and he communicates information through a vision for their life. But I have found that I ever hardly ever see them unless the anointing is, is heavy on me, at least to the degree when you're witnessing and you catch on fire, you know, and, and verses are coming and people are saying, well, how about this? All of a sudden you're pulling verses out that you didn't even know you knew. And that's the anointing. And under that kind of anointing, he can impart visions. Now, he uses these visions mostly with me when I'm heavy under word of knowledge, word of wisdom, when I'm looking at people. And at times I will see these visions. I'll see your anatomy. I'll see organs. I'll see things wrong. And the other way he uses these visions in my life mostly is to communicate revelation knowledge. I would, for instance, God was trying to show me what it meant. If your hand offends, you cut it off. If your eye offends, you pluck it out. He was trying to show me that that was talking about the flesh and the extremes we should go in dealing with the flesh. The chapter was on offending people. It was Matthew 18. So I was meditating and meditating. I couldn't quite correlate it in my spirit. And I'd been praying most of the night in tongues and meditating the Word. And I was laying there contemplating and rolling these things over in that whole chapter in meditation continually over and over and over. And all of a sudden, a vision came just like that. It was so quick that I blinked and I seen it. And, and this quick, this is what I seen in the vision. It seemed like it had nothing to do with anything. But when I came back out of it, instantly I knew the revelation in that chapter. So he used a vision to communicate revelation knowledge. And this is what I seen. I was speeding up this dirt road. I don't know. I, didn't, I don't know whose car it was. I was driving it. I didn't recognize it. It was an older car. I was speeding up this road, and all of a sudden I run off the curb. It tilted sideways. The door opened. I fell out and rolled down the hill. I looked up to see the car rolling down after me. It rolled over on me. The door had bent back on the first roll. So it rolled over, and the top of the door pinned my hand. It pinned my hand underneath. I could not get my hand out. I jerked on it and tried. All of a sudden, the engine caught on fire, and the flames was burning back towards the gas station. I've been very, very fast. I was sitting here jerking on my hand, and I could not get it out. And don't ask me where the knife came from. 
I think it just appeared in my hand, a great big old long knife. And I knew I had to make a decision to cut my hand off and save my life, perish in the flames. And guess what decision I made? I went ahead and this was all that quick, that quick in the vision. So I got the knife and sawed around. I remember it's vivid. I cut around my hand to the bone and then jerked up real hard and snapped the bone. I was running from the wreck down the hill, holding my arm like this, and it exploded. And the explosion compelled me through the air, and that's when I came out of it. And the Spirit was saying to me, all oh, this time I was hearing. He's saying, how many times were you in a situation like this where it required the literal cutting off of your hand? I says, well, you know, a person doesn't run into that situation that often. He said, that's right. He said, I want you to view the things of the flesh, unforgiveness and strife and offensive of little ones. He says, I want you to view the flesh with that same degree of magnitude. He says, I want you at any cost to get those things out of your life. So he communicated this thing in a vision instantly in a half a second. But that study will be further down the road. Right now, we have to major on the foundational gift, the inner witness, because most of you can't differentiate between the soul realm and the emotions of it, and when he is actually imparting the go-ahead in your spirit on business deals, on living, on life, or anything else, or in those times he will instill that check that says, do not do it. You've met somebody and he's cautioned you. Mm-mm. And you say, well, look at them. They're the perfect Christian. Blah, blah, blah. And you entered into a deal with them and they took you to the cleaners. And later on, you remember back and you said, that's what that was. Something went off inside of me that said, don't do it. And you overrode it and did it and paid the consequences. But at the time, you're saying, is it or isn't it? And the circumstances overwhelmed the inner witness in you because you didn't know how to discern it and whether it was for sure God or not because you didn't know whether you was operating out of the emotions or that rock, steadfast, solid place that cannot steer you wrong. The spirit man and the inner witness. Now, have a, how many's ever been in that situation? Raise your little hand. How many's ever made a business deal that took you to the cleaners and later you remembered? You said, I knew it. Just had a feeling. We just, just, just had it. Well, then why didn't you go by it? Because you really didn't know whether it was God or not. Yes? But you knew after. <laughs> what I want to know is how come some of you are so slow learning your lesson? <laughs> is anybody else having as much fun as I am? <laughs> well, again, I'm going to exhort you that are praying in the Spirit because you made a quality, a quality decision. I started to say qualifying decision that you're going to spend at least two or three hours a week operating out of your inner man. For he that prays in the Spirit or an unknown tongue 
He says, he is in the Spirit. So you're deliberately by an, an act of your will putting yourself into the Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to actually flow through you for three hours out of the part of you that all these things we're talking about takes place. And when you let Him flow through you and out of that inner man for two or three hours a week, it won't be very long that you'll become familiar with where He creates His tongues within your consciousness. The same place He talks to you, the same place He imparts the inner witness, the same place He sends revelation knowledge across and explodes it. That The more you operate out of the consciousness of the inner man where the Holy Ghost lives by letting Him create that supernatural language of tongues and speak it out of your mouth, then the more familiar you're going to become with the part of you that the leadership of the Holy Spirit takes place in. So that makes me want to run and just cancel the rest of this meeting and say, we're going into prayer. <laughs> Would you all excuse me? Oh, so I call them on again. Hallelujah. He said, well, Brother Melberson, yes. I just really can't tell what is the soul and what isn't. I just really can't tell. I, I do. He speaks to me and I and I go do it, and after I do it, I find out it wasn't him. <laughs> and it just destroys my confidence to know what is him and what isn't. How many has ever swore up and down, God spoke to me, and you go do it, and it wasn't him. Well, raise your hand. Yeah, me too. <laughs> God spoke to me, you go do it, and it wasn't him. And, and, you know, it kind of shakes a person's confidence a little bit. Say, whoa, if that wasn't him, then I don't know what is. <laughs> because you get to the place where I can't tell whether this is my emotions or he's actually dealing with me in the inner man. I just can't tell anymore. Well, why do you think the devil fights tongues so hard? Number one, he wants to keep you in the fleshly soul realm so that he can be the one that leads you around messing churches up, you know, projecting God to the unbeliever is something that nobody wants to have. You know, he wants you to keep splitting churches, keep operating. He don't want you to ever come to a place that you can operate out of your spirit. And there's only one real way you can get there, and that's familiarize yourself with the Holy Spirit, the person who's doing the communication with you. And by golly, if he brought a prayer language with him and he wants to pray through you, wouldn't you think that'd have anything to do with enhancing you in the part of you you hear him in? That it won't be real long that you'll start differentiating. You'll say, I know that's God. Well, how do you know? Because I'm familiar with his operation. first foundation of this leadership first is it is based on the word and this is what Jesus was talking as any man comes to me and does not violently vehemently emphatically choose me and my word then he'll not have the counsel to know what to do first of all all leadership of the spirit is based on the foundational rock of the word of God he will not lead you contrary to the word for the spirit and the word agree so if we're going to get acquainted with this, then let's find out where he leads a person and how he leads them first through the inner witness. So go on to Romans 8. Glory. Romans 8. 
when we begin here, it'll be with the 13th verse. So let's begin by differentiating between spirit and soul here. Um, whenever I heard spirit, soul, and body teachers, they'd always put three circles up or three triangles on a blackboard, and they'd say, this is your spirit, and they'd outline the characteristics of the spirit, and then they'd say, this is your soul. And they'd outline the characteristics of your soul, then they'd say, this is your body. Then they'd outline the characteristics of your body. And of course, in my relentless endeavor to find out how the voice of God worked, I'd say, now tell me once again, you know, what do you classify the soul realm and what do you classify the spirit realm? Well, see, this is, this is all very interesting because the man in hell had torments, and that means that your soul goes with you when you go. Whether you go to hell or go to heaven, your soul accompanies you. So this makes it interesting. The soul consists of emotions, will, intellect. My question to God was, what's the difference between my human soul and the soul, say, of a horse or a dog? And if my soul is my mind and my will and my intellect and my emotional faculties, I mean, we got some dogs that think they're human. You know, the reason they classify a dog as a man's best friend is because you can treat them mean, you know, kick them or something, and you say, oh, come here. Of course, I don't kick dogs, but you say, oh, come here. And the dog, after you just yelled at him, get out of here. And they say, oh, come here. And he comes back and says, get out of here. He goes, come here. Get out of here. Come here. You know, it seems like they have a little spirit because they love you. You know, they love you. But as far as any popular teachers in the land goes, that when your little puppy dog, there's no children in, well, anyway, when your puppy dog goes to doggy heaven, <laughs> it's not the same one you go to. <laughs> Yet when you hold a little dog up and you look at it, you know, so you tell me there's no animals in heaven. No, there's animals there, but they come into existence there. And you hold a little dog up and they look at you and you go, and they go, and it seems like they got a little spirit. You know, they can do everything but talk to you. I said, what's the difference between my soul and the soul of a dog? So I can tell you the difference. When God created your intellect, you know, what in the world did it look like? And when he held your intellect in his hand and said, this is the part of my creation, what in the world did it look like? How about when he created your emotions and held them in his hands and says, this is the emotions of a human being? What did they look like? When he created your willpower, held it in his hand and said, this is the willpower of a human being. What did it look like? The difference between you and a dog is when he created your mind, your will, your emotions, your intellect, and held them in his hand, he deposited them in an eternal substance called spirit. And when he put your mind, your will, your intellect as forces into your spirit, he gave them their eternity. 
Because spirit is substance that God uses to build His eternal creatures out of. That's what angels are made out of. So He gave your soul its eternity when He deposited the thing into your spirit. Now, with the dog, the emotions, I mean, he has a soul all right, but it's a fleshly soul. It is not deposited in an eternal substance called spirit. So when the little doggy goes to doggy heaven, his little soul perishes with him. It simply lays down and ceases to exist. The difference between his and yours, yours is deposited in an eternal substance called spirit. In doing so, he gave your soul its eternity. Now, on one end of the spectrum, my soul is connected to my spirit and my spirit operates through my soul. But on the other end of the spectrum, just like a dog has forces in its body called a fleshly soul, my flesh is capable of housing the other end of the spectrum, which is my soul. Now, if I was to go to heaven at this moment, step out of my body, the resistance against my soul would be gone. Because the part of me that had work, death working in it, the part of me that worked like a dog, that is an active fleshly soul on this end of the spectrum operating in my flesh and my flesh influencing it, when my flesh died, all that influence would be gone and I would go on to heaven with no temptations, nothing derogatory, nothing at all from the flesh because it would have forced to been turned loose of the influence on my soul. The problem is, we want to operate on the other end of the spectrum, the part of the soul that the spirit operates through before it gets to the body. We don't want to operate on this end of the spectrum through the intellect and the emotions of the soul that goes the other direction and tries to overpower your spirit. And to walk in the spirit is to come to a place in your spirit, man, where you activate the soul and it goes in the reverse direction and overpowers the flesh. This is what he's talking about when he says, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the warrings and the lustings of the flesh. Problem is, to differentiate between the spirit operation of the soul and the fleshly operation of the soul is very, very close and it is hard to tell the difference because of the range of emotions that the soul has. Now let's differentiate between this range and we're going to stop here pretty soon. Unfortunately, the soul has the ability to soar like an eagle and generally according to circumstances if a man walks out to the flesh. This is when your soul will soar. Everything's going my way. Yeah. I got a raise, doubled my salary. Yeah. I mean, everything just I got a new car. Yeah. They just gave me a lifetime job with benefits you and yeah. And everything is going your way. It causes an emotional high. Well, I'm riding on the top of the ladder. But unfortunately, in the capacity of the soul, the capacity it has to go high, it can also go low. 
Now, most of us, we don't have trouble differentiating between the emotional lows of the soul and the operation of the Spirit. Because you know as well as I do, when you're feeling defeated, depressed, beat up, don't care, and don't want to go to church, that the Holy Ghost didn't lead you into that. Where most of us mess up is the other end of the spectrum, is the emotional high. When I'm so high, things are going to, whoo, this has got to be God. Emotional high, oh, glory to God. He's opened all these doors, oh, He's moving for me. And it may not be God at all. It could be the other end of the operation. And if it is, then it will pull you off into something that is not God as the emotional lows will force you off into something that is not God. But if either one of them is not God, then the devil will get you where he wants you. So it's easy to differentiate between the lows. But it is hard to differentiate between the highs. And this is where you've got to develop the inner man and learn where his voice and his inner witness comes from. And to do that, the foundation of it first begins with the Word of God. So let's look where he's leading most of you. Now you say, God led me to do this great work over in Okmulgee. He led me to do this great work in Oklahoma City. And you get up there. You cause nothing but a big mess and come back beat up. Don't tell me that God led you over there. You wasn't ready to be led over there. The only place He's leading you at this point is out of a walk based on the flesh into a walk of the Spirit. Because if you're still walking in so much flesh that the devil can corral you and beat you up and cause you to fail, I guarantee you God didn't lead you over there. He's majoring on another kind of leadership in your life. Out of a walk where you're dominated by the emotions into an operation of peace where you know where His voice is coming from. Hallelujah. Prove it to me. You've got it, friend. Look at Romans 8, 13. Glory! Romans 8, 13 says, For if you live after the flesh, and again, that's the carnal, emotional realm and influence of flesh and soul, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit, through the Spirit, I like this, through the Spirit do mortify, disannul, put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live for as many as are led. Isn't this interesting? Now what are we after? Leadership of the Spirit? For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the... Sons of God. Now, translation of these two verses together is this. If you live after or walk after the carnal desires and dictates of the flesh, you'll live. But as many as will accept the leadership of the Spirit, then this is where he's leading you. He says he's leading you into a walk of sonship, which dictates maturity. A grown-up place in God. That even though you're wearing a physical flesh body, and you have the emotional realm of the soul that has its highs and it has its lows and wants to lust and wants to sin and wants to do everything else the flesh is famous for. All the fruits of the flesh. He says, as many as will accept the leadership of the Spirit first and foremost 
He leads you into a walk of sonship and maturity, a place in God where the dictates of the flesh does not dominate, nor lead you, nor corral you, nor defeat you, but a walk of maturity and sonship where the inner man is ruling over the flesh. Now, first and foremost, this is where he's leading you. First and foremost, for as many as are led, as many as is receiving his leadership, this is what, as many as is yielding to it, then this is where he's leading you. Out of a walk where your emotions, where depressions, where those impasses, where up one day and down the next, See, if God did lead you to do a mighty work and you get over there and you have a genuine gift flowing, of course you do. That's not the question. God uses me. Of course He does. We're not questioning that. When I lay hands on the sick, they recover. We're not questioning that. But if you say, He led me to do this work and the devil corrals you, defeats you, and brings reproach on the kingdom because you weren't ready to do the work, I can guarantee you, the only leadership in your life that he's employing is out of a walk where the flesh dominates and into a walk of maturity where it does not. Now, most of us get trapped not by the depression end. We get trapped by the glory end. You may be no more ready to run out and invoke any kind of pressure on your life but yet because we have an extreme talent or we're very good in a certain area, Elvis Presley, he could have been born again one day and drew more people than Jimmy Swaggart because he's Elvis Presley. Or got born again, I'm going to sing nothing for Jesus. His stadiums would pack out because of what he's capable of. But it wouldn't mean that God sent him. And you can be sucked off by the operation of the flesh, but it won't be very long. The devil will come in four different directions and corral and defeat you because of the entry to overpower your operation of the Spirit that he has through the emotions of the flesh. I can tell you're listening. So how do you define the difference? Brother Roberson, do you like emotional highs and all that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like to run around, jump up and down, scream and praise God and have the greatest time in the whole world for emotions for cause to enjoy life with. Oh, I love them. I love happiness and joy. I like to run around ecstatic, you know, on top of it. Woo, I feel so good. Glory, I feel good. You think I want to run around? I feel bad. I feel bad. See, I have found out that even joy is a sustaining foundation that gives you the substance you need to stand patiently through a test and trial. That's what joy is for. He said, count it joy. I love the emotional highs. I love to run around in them. But I also know the operation of the Spirit. I don't like the emotional lows. And the further I get into the Spirit, the more to them I dictate, the less control they have over my life, and the more I release the constant presence of joy and happiness and all those kind of things. Because I love it. 
See, a teacher is supposed to feed your emotions. I mean, your, your spirit, man. I'm, I'm supposed to feed your spirit, man, and teach you how to operate out of him. An evangelist who preaches to the lost, he preaches to the soul realm, and the emotions are designed to hook a ring in with the chain and lead you around by the chain, lead you up to the altar, lead you up into a healing line. But the teacher, he's supposed to teach the spirit how to receive from God. There's a difference between the two. What's the difference between the anointing in a singer and, and skill, you know, talent? When a person has the substance of the Spirit and the Holy Ghost in their life is sold out, they begin to sing you a song. It will reach past the emotional realm. It will reach down on the inside. And because the Holy Ghost is causing an anointing in them, it will cause an anointing in you. And it will take you, and the song will go further than the world can take it. It will take you past the emotional realm and invoke worship to when God comes and starts camping with your spirit and you get caught up into a heavenly place with Him. See, there's a big difference. One of these days, oh... Hey, we're going to have worship as God keeps enfolding your walk of the Spirit. We are going to have worship. Glory. <laughs> Before I turn you loose today, and right now we don't care. We're just operating along as the Spirit is exalting the thing. Right now your priority isn't who gets what and who gets to go sing here and there. Your priority is the leadership of the Spirit as He leads you out of a walk dominated by flesh into that walk of the Spirit. Now, let me show you the differentiating between the two so that you can begin again to identify that steadfastness of the inner man. All right, what did 13 and 14 say again? They said, For if you live after the flesh, you shall die, but if you through the Spirit mortify, mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many... As are led, as many as will be led, as many as accepts his leadership by the Spirit. They are the sons of God. They're mature. For, they, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now when I'm crying, Abba, Father, what goes on? Notice, the Spirit itself, this is how you cry, Abba. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So in this inner witness, when he's bearing a witness, he says he cries, Abba, Father. Now we have scriptural foundational fact that says the Holy Spirit within your human spirit will bear a witness. But he says, now, we've not received the spirit of bondage and corruption, fear, that mess didn't come from God. That, that kingdom exists with the flesh and the devil's realm. That's why he said you didn't get that. It doesn't matter who tells you disease come from God. Who teaches you poverty come from God. He says we didn't receive bondage and fear from God. This is what you've received. He says, 
Our spirit is being bearing witness by the Holy Spirit and causes us to cry, Abba, Father. But we don't walk around hearing this little voice inside of our spirit saying, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. That's Greek for Daddy God. It's an expression that I'm yielding to you because you are the Father of my spirit. And what he's saying is this. It doesn't matter how bad the bondage and the fear and the corruption and the pressure from the flesh and the cares of this world and the deceit of riches. It doesn't matter how ungodly the pressure can get until you're a bundle of nerves ready to collapse under or how hard that a wealthy fortune is trying to suck you off into compromise and sin. No matter how hard the bondage and the pressure is. That didn't come from God. This is the part that come from God, the part that's crying, Abba, Father. And the way he cries, Abba, is underneath the corruption. He bears witness that says, I don't care how bad it is, you are the Father of my spirit, and I'm not moved by what I see, hear, or feel. I am only moved by what I believe. Glory to God. So in this differentiating between the emotional highs and lows of the soul, and that rock steadfast voice of the inner witness. First of all, as he leads you out of bondage and corruption and flesh and into a walk of maturity, the inner witness is designed to lead you out of the bondage and corruption of the flesh into liberty and maturity. Not where the soul leads you through emotions, but the spirit. Now, here's the differentiating. Very, very close now. I can help you identify at this point what is the operation of your spirit. Are you ready? How many of you, as we said last Sunday, how many of you ever come to a time in your Christian walk that the pressure became intolerable? It became so heavy at bondage and fear and depression. And the trial was so great. You felt forsaken by God and everybody. And you even felt like you wanted to give up. And some of you tried. How many ever came to that place? Raise your hand. Now, even though you tried back then to give up, notice you're here. Now, why do you think you're here? Because the soul realm which fluctuates from the emotional highs of ecstatic joy and happiness to the emotional lows of depression, it can only operate so low. Then it runs into the foundation, the rock of the Spirit, in that operation. The part of you that wouldn't turn loose, it was below or above that operation of the bondage and fear. That was your spirit. And that's where the Holy Ghost dwells. And even though it got so heavy, you tried to give up something on the inside, kept crying out, Abba, Father, you're the Father of my spirit. Kept crying out continually and protested. You couldn't lay down on the bed and you're sunk and I want to give up state that something inside would not let you turn loose. You tried to turn loose. I want to quit. Leave me alone. And it kept crying, Abba, you're the Father of my spirit. Well, the part of you that refused to completely turn loose is the spirit man until he brought you back. 
See, the part of you that wouldn't turn loose, that was the Spirit, my friend. You were in contact with the Spirit. He wouldn't turn loose. But the key is to learn how not to operate in the emotions, the highs and lows. But the key is to learn to operate out of the part of you you would not give up. And at times it got beat so down it was the bare flicker of a teeny-weeny little flame just barely escaping. You just collapsed in your intellect. You'd already laid down and died. But that teeny little flicker in the spirit just said, I'm not having any part of this. No way. I'm not giving up. Abba, help, Father. In the spirit in there bearing witness saying, you're okay, child. I'm your father. You're my child. But, but, but the other part of me don't feel like it. But I'm your father. But you don't know how bad it is. Yes, I'm your father. But I want to give up. You can't because I'm your father. Leave me alone. I can't because I'm your father. But I'm going to an insane asylum. I'll go with you because I'm your father. I'll not give up until you came back. But see, the key is to walk in there on purpose and ignite that little flicker. Let me tell you a primary key to igniting it. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Because it doesn't matter how bad your emotions get, how bad you want to give up, when you crawl into the car, sutakati, sutalama, guess what? You bypass the soul altogether and operating out of that teeny little boxed-in inner witness in there. That the more he flows, the more it will expand until he drives your emotions back where they're supposed to be, serving your spirit. Glory to God. Many times along the way you hit impasses. Them are strongholds, fortresses that say, I'm not giving up. You keep praying in tongues. How many's noticed you will hit them and eliminate them? Raise thy little hand. <laughs> Glory to God. Woo! I'm having a time. Glory to God. So we're going to go on talking about this inner witness and feeding him. Making him strong, learning to operate out of him. I don't care if you're the most talented person in the world. If your soul can suck you off into an operation of flesh, the devil gets you out there and just whoop you. Yeah, but they really use me singing and everything. Yes, but five years from now, you'll still be the emotional, unstable mess that you was when you entered into the program. <laughs> so come on, let's accept this leadership first. And as we grow and get strong, we can go conquer the world. There ain't a thing beside the hell the devil can do about it. So I'm, I'm taking this shitty devil says, no, you're not. Say, hey, buddy, I can tell you, you don't have access to my spirit because you wouldn't say that if you knew what was going on. <laughs> Glory. Some of you in the emotional lusts, money, 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 get sucked off into deals that just cut your head off. But if you went and mortified that stuff, then he could lead you into business deals. Glory. Did anybody have as good a time as I did? <laughs> did you really? Everybody stand up and let's pray. Hallelujah.